my friends, the great experiment. Down on the Lord, thanks, thanks. Hidden trick, trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick, trick. And you people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star trick, trick. The greatest trick, trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. How you doing, Adam? Ooh, what a day! <laughs> we are uh, we're we're doing one of those days where your schedule and my schedule are really working at cross purposes. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're trying to thread the needle. We're having like a schedule staring contest, and mm-hmm. neither schedule is blinking. A uh, a fat. What is it? A a rich podcast has an e- easier time threading this needle than getting to heaven or something. <laughs> then Rick Caruso has a chance of getting to heaven. Yeah, yeah. I think that's how. how oh it's yeah, <laughs> that's how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm having a little a uh, little impromptu Coco No No uh, here. I'm having a wow a can of canned Mai Tai. You have them when you don't have to, and I don't have them when I need to. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Damn. <laughs> You're just taking better care of yourself. Yeah. This is uh, this is self-care, I guess. Aren't you afraid of the alcohol coming out of those titties and the baby drinking it? I haven't been participating in any of the nursing, so. <laughs> oh. Not even watching nursing. I've, I have done... 85 to 90% of all diaper changes though. So, I'm not uh, I'm not sitting this out. Damn. Yeah. And I I'd say I do a good 70% of the burping. Hey, you know? So, things having to do with butts and and generalized flatulence? Yeah. You're all over that. I really thought that I knew a thing or two about burping and farting, and this baby is teaching me that I am a total amateur in both departments. Just a, a real a real gas bag, this kiddo. I'm gonna be like you, Dad. <laughs> you know I'm gonna fart like you. It's nuts. I think that babies swallow air when they cry. Oh. So when they're like hungry, they cry to let you know they're hungry. But then they swallow air and then they eat and they swallow air while they're eating. So what a terrible feeling. Yeah, it's awful. They're full of bubbles and the bubbles come out both ends. It's just a, a constant struggle to keep up with both things, you know. Probably getting a lot of blurfs happening there too, right? You mean uh, little little spit ups? Yeah, yeah, a little bit of that. Not as much as I had anticipated. I thought that that was like a the number of people that gave us like muslin mm-hmm. spit up towels. Uh huh. I was like, oh man, we're really in for it. There's going to be a lot yeah. of curdled milk oozing all over the house and uh it's been you know here and there nothing major though i admire your adherence to your own personal dress code like every time i've seen you you're dressing the same as you ever have like you don't always have a baby on your shoulder ready to drop a barf down your back yeah i mean he hasn't I haven't been stung. He's pissed on a shirt. Yeah. He put his, he, but he well, was. Well, you've pissed on your shirts. Yeah. I, I was taking him out of a, out of the bath and he didn't have a diaper on and he, and he peed on me. Damn. But, um, you know, I don't like piss isn't that big a deal, right? That washes off pretty good. Yeah. I mean, some people think it's, uh, it's something else, but it's piss. Yeah. It's piss. 
just chill. It's pissed. I had to, I actually had to call up my buddy Andrew Walsh of the Spotless podcast because he did <laughs> while nursing somehow sneak a turd around the edge of the diaper and all over a like oatmeal colored rocking chair that we got for nursing. Damn. And uh, the poop that a, a newborn infant generates is sort of bright orange. Yeah. Ten coats of competition orange, hand rub lacquer with a blue plain manifold, full fucking race games. Whoa. Yep. That stain was not coming out. And uh, Andrew Walsh, uh, co-host of the Spotless podcast, talked me through some uh, some extreme measures I could take in trying to remove the stain. And it worked. He recommended a product called Folex that I went down. Oh, yeah. I went down to my local home center and got a bottle of Folex. And the, We've got Folex. Got that stain right out. Wow. It was great. My yeah. wife was beside herself. She was so angry because this chair is like, I mean, as it, we, we bought it used, but it was like a new chair. She was mm-hmm. very upset that it made it like one or two weeks into having a baby and was destroyed. And I, I brought that chair right back to life. I looked like a hero. It sure feels like our Star Trek podcasts have completed the pivot from <laughs> comedy Star Trek podcast to comedy Star Trek child rearing home improvement show. Yeah. I watched the- uh, We're a multi-hyphenate podcast, aren't we? I watched the episode with the baby today. I mean, I, I didn't show him the screen. He listened, but- uh, he's- Ben, I don't know how you held a baby watching this episode because not to cut to the end- I thought this is one of the funniest Lower Decks episode I'd ever seen. It was really funny and uh, a delightful surprise. I didn't see this one coming. Yeah. Let's get into it, Ben. It's Lower Decks Season 3, Episode 7, A Mathematically Perfect Redemption. It's an episode that starts with the previously on. We don't usually get that kind of open on a Lower Decks, and it's a... It's a flashback to the season one finale, No Small Parts. It's when we met Peanut Hamper. Yeah, I really liked how this last time on sort of started as clip show Mm -hmm. and then sort of flowed into just following what happened to Peanut Hamper after we last saw Peanut Hamper. And and seeing things in POV, like we know what happened during that episode because we were there, like the dangerous mission that Shax and Rutherford do. And seeing that from the exterior, like from that remove, made the mission look even more epic. It was amazing. It really did. Yeah. It's amazing that Peanut Hamper comes off as an even bigger asshole <laughs> after the events that we saw yeah. in that previous episode. <laughs> I knew it. Peanut Hamper watches everything that goes down from a remove and is a smug jerk about the whole thing, even after the Titan arrives. Yeah. I really love when the flashback is through, we don't cut to theme and instead we use the theme, right? Yeah. We get a different version of the theme song, complete with a custom version of the music. And what that's doing is giving us a passage of time that I don't think we get if we throw to regular theme and then come back. Right. That slow, floaty feeling that we get for 90 seconds. I think you really need that. Very melancholic. They re-recorded the music yeah. to meet the mood yeah. of being stranded and alone. I found it really effective. I liked seeing Rutherford's old implant floating out there. I kind of wonder <laughs> if the fact that that implant is intact and floating in space 
will factor into another future episode. I mean, it may have been picked up by the Drukmani, right? We don't know that. Oh, wow. Yeah. The Drukmani could be wise to whatever's going on with Rutherford before we are. Right. So Peanut Hamper is talking to themselves while floating through this space flotsam. I hate Starfleet. What about the needs of the meat? And there's clearly been a sort of castaway style exocomp built, sort of a Wilson-like exocomp mm-hmm, mm-hmm. called Sophie. Sophia? Yeah. I wrote down. Yeah. And in addition to creating this volleyball, Peanut Hamper has created an escape craft out of all the wreckage of all the ships here. We might just make it. Did that thought ever cross your brain? Also grown a giant beard Mm -hmm. and knocked a piece of tooling off of herself using an ice skate. Right. And uh, eaten a raw crab. (laughs) What else happened in that movie? (laughs) I think we listed all the things. That was one of the scariest plane crashes I think I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, that was pretty rough. God, that was big. Tom Hanks. A lot of plane crashes in his career, right? Yeah. Didn't he play uh, Sully in a movie? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Sure did. And uh, who knows what kind of plane crash happens in in Pinocchio. Disney's Pinocchio. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) He uh, crashes his plane into Elvis in that one movie. That's right. Yeah. He flies a plane across country and then flies it back. Right, right. Um, Pretty sure he's in uh, United 97. Right. (laughs) Yeah, he never learns how to land. Right, right. (laughs) Um, He crashes the plane that he's in charge of in Greyhound. (laughs) What are some other movies that Tom Hanks has done? (laughs) I mean, we're going to have to fast forward. through all of the Tom Hanks movie titles, because there are many. So yeah, but enough crap was left over from all these pack-led ships getting cut apart by the Titan that Peanut Hamper is able to make this like semi-warp-capable escape craft. They're just like flecks of dilithium available to her, but she thinks it's going to work out, and she is getting ready to make her escape with Sophia or Sophie or whatever, and uh, the Drukmani scavengers show up and almost spoil the escape. The way that they operate in space is is not unlike a trawling fishing boat, right? Right. Like they're just scooping up large parts of space and drawing it into their ship for, for sorting and examination. And this is the moment when Peanut Hamper and Sophie are, are drawn toward the ship. You're reminded of what a son of a bitch Peanut Hamper is. <laughs> yeah. Because Peanut Hamper shoves Sophie like into the hole oh. yeah. and is able to make their escape. I got a note for the Drukmani. Maybe don't grind up everything that you're claiming for salvage. Like those grinders seem like a bad choice. Like what if there is a fissile warhead still you know, yeah. floating around out there? What if there's a, a warp core that you draw into your ship? Seems dangerous. A Rutherford headband could be valuable. Too valuable to smush. Yeah. Don't smush everything. Yeah. No accounting for Drukmani math, though. It's big fun when Peanut Hamper uh, lights off this warp nacelle and takes off. Yeah. But one thing I want to say is how much cooler this craft is than anything Rutherford made. (laughs) (laughs) Like... How is it that that version of Rutherford made such a shitty looking ship and Peanut Hamper can make something better? Like, 
Yeah. It goes, I think I might even put this one now. Refleatherford's Delta Flyer, best looking improvised ship, and then Peanut Hamper's single nacelle ship, and then whatever Rutherford made. Wow. That's how I'm ranking them. I think, crucially, the escape craft that Peanut Hamper makes would not win a race in the neutral zone. Yeah. Because instead of uh, getting her to safety, it gets her shot into the atmosphere of a planet after the engine goes critical and just propels the chair part forward (laughs) out of the warp bubble. And uh, we get like a boot up sequence to Rattan. Rattan? What the? Where the frick am I? Peanut Hamper comes to, in a scene that we see a lot in science fiction, there's a character that has passed out and then they come to in an unfamiliar place and Peanut Hamper meets an owl looking person. Yeah. Like, not all birds are owls, but initially I was like, oh, this is an owl planet. Yeah, it's kind of an owl planet, except for they have, like, lion feet. Yeah. They're not griffins, though. No. But they have they do have claw feet, despite that. This person introduces themselves as Kaltoris, and at this moment in time, you think he's some sort of scientist or medical professional. Your metal body is fascinating. Wow, scare much? I don't know you, sir. You're being very creepy. I was really wondering, are we in a misery situation? Or are we in a C-3PO in the Ewok village situation? And it really winds up being a third thing. It's so interesting because you're set up to dislike Peanut Hamper so utterly. What would it mean if this was a misery situation? You know, like, do you want peanut hampers ankles broken with a sledgehammer i don't know (laughs) i want to find out how that would feel eventually you'll come to accept the idea of being here does peanut hamper have ankles yeah or are those feet just bolted right onto her little body it seems threatening at first because kaltoris uh comes at peanut hamper with a scalpel and the moment seems like it could be violent, but instead he's going in there to scrape off some of the crud. I didn't say mud, I said crud. Yeah. That has accumulated on Peanut Hamper over the, I don't know, months that they've been floating in space. I sort of wondered about that because it doesn't seem like anyone gets particularly far in scraping that stuff off. Yeah. This is how Peanut Hamper looks. Because, like, for most of the first half of this episode, Peanut Hamper is looking pretty bedraggled still. But, yeah, she's also just, like, she's pissed when she finds out that she's in a pre-warp backwater. She has landed on a planet where no rescue is coming because this guy tells her, uh, in my lifetime, nobody has ever come from off-world. Oh, f***. Oh, yes. F***, indeed. I found that, like from off-world phrasing to be a bit of an interesting foreshadowing. I wonder how much they debate stuff like that in the writer's room because like, it definitely like perked my ears up. Like, oh, this may not be the pre-warp civilization it appears to be at first blush. Yeah, it's an elegant way to put it in a way that, like, if you're just some fucking hayseed planet, you would just call Peanut Hamper an alien. Right. Right. But calling Peanut Hamper an off-worlder suggests a knowledge of things that's a little more sophisticated. Peanut Hamper's attitude is unchanged, really, from the moment we met her. Like, very flip, very sarcastic, very cutting at people who are taking care of her. Right. 
Not appreciative. Yeah. She's introduced to more of the tribe, including Rauda, who I think is the one that says something about like the ancient ones warned us about mm-hmm. people like Peanut Hamper. Yeah. Rauda is the son of Kaltoris and uh boy, what a bot on this guy. Yeah. Real aspirational. Damn. Abs, pecs, cum gutters, the works. Getting some major village bad boy vibes from Raw Dog, am I right? His name is Rauda, and you know nothing of him. Pretty much the only depiction of an Ariole, like with a special person. Yeah. He's got a hot owl lady to go along with him. Yeah, and she seems to have a sort of jealous personality. Yeah. But she's sort of written out of the show. <laughs> she never comes back after this scene. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to know what, how she felt about this whole development. Peanut Hamper, super disappointed at her circumstances and just sort of randomly when a young owl child like gives Peanut Hamper a stick like as a gift or as a toy or something, she's super incredulous and kind of sarcastically replicates a piece of candy to give in return. Yeah. And this is the moment Here. that blows everyone away. Yeah. <gasps> Relax. This kind of moves the chains toward C-3PO in the Ewok village yeah. territory. Right. Peanut Hamper also complains that uh, she can't do a distress call to Starfleet because a distress call would be an arrest call. <laughs> She's in trouble. Yeah. She she abandoned she, she abandoned her boy. Say it louder. <laughs> she abandoned her, her shipmates. Say it louder. Say it louder. I abandoned my crewmates. I was more interested in saving myself than in helping them. So calling for rescue would also be a thing that would wind up getting her put in a penal colony. And uh, a peanut in a penal colony just ain't going to work. No. So as a construction, this episode has begun with the reminder of who Peanut Hamper is these circumstances that Peanut Hamper finds themselves in. And now we need to learn about kind of the rules of this planet. And that's what comes up next. Rauda kind of takes Peanut Hamper on a tour of things. Takes her under his wing, you might say? I would say that. I'd say that exactly. <laughs> yeah. It turns out everything on this planet has wings, Every, <laughs> including the sky snakes. Yeah. We get the like the visual language of giant shadow falling across everything is a thing that is greatly feared by these owl people. Yeah. We witness a goat milking competition between Rauda and <laughs> Peanut Hamper. Yeah. And uh, Peanut Hamper wins because Peanut Hamper is able to replicate a goat milking device. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which... I'm shocked they were able to show on screen, even though this is a cartoon. Yeah. It did seem like the peanut hamper side of the goat milking did get like a little bit more chaste treatment. Obscured by the leg. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You see the device, but you don't see the milking happen. Yeah. It is while this uh, milking is taking place that they hear off screen commotion and uh, the chieftain Kaltoris. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I wrote the spelling of Kaltor is so many different ways that every time I look at it on my notes, I'm like, I don't know how to say that. <laughs> I don't I don't think they say it more than once in the whole episode. So I was like, yeah. eh, I think it's about this. <laughs> yeah, I, I just gave up and started writing down Rauda's father. <laughs> Anyways, that guy <laughs> has been bitten by a sky snake. Death will be swift. And when- Annie Venom! <laughs> oh! Peanut Hamper is really able to win the tribe over by administering anti-venom 
and uh, several uh, key vitamins and minerals that his, his system was deficient in because of his primitive diet. Hey, good job by Kaltoris eye for an eyeing this thing. Like, he gave it the spear and took the sky snake out. Yeah, yeah. But so, like, the next day, Peanut Hamper, like, strutting around the village like she owns the place. And uh, everybody loves Peanut Hamper. She's been able to administer Starfleet medical science to pretty much everyone in the whole village and really, like, patch people up, uh, people that previously could not paint, can paint, People who previously had bad bowel movements now have great bowel movements. Yeah. Yeah. That was a particularly notable scene for me. Something that I watched over and over again. <laughs> Just how satisfied this character was to be cured. Yeah. Oh, yes. My fecal matter is back to being oily and white. Great. I was a little worried for the tribe. I, I thought maybe the direction that this episode was going was in this next scene where Rauda introduces Peanut Hamper to the reproductive cycle of these people mm -hmm. yeah of the areolans or whatever they're called and he's saying like oh yeah like we got like 36 eggs in here it's a real shame most of them won't make it to adulthood and peanut hamper is like not if i have anything to say about it and waves a light over all of these eggs and they all hatch healthy babies and i was like oh is this gonna be a thing about like the evolutionary destiny of the tribe is thrown off by all of these hatchlings being <laughs> able to survive in a way that like ordinarily they wouldn't. And then like when they don't have the benefit of technology, they become so burdensome. <laughs> like a really dark storyline was started to unfold itself in my mind. And I was like, Jesus, Jesus fucking ben. Christ. <laughs> I'm imagining a writer's room that ordinarily is like no bad ideas on the whiteboard. This one doesn't even get written on the whiteboard. Uh, ben, why don't you uh, go pick up lunch? I know that that's normally a writer's assistant gig, but uh, today... Why don't you drive the writer's assistant there? You head to Mendocino Farms <laughs> and, uh, and not the one that's close by. Go to the one downtown. <laughs> Peanut Hamper could have murdered all of these chicks in their eggs uh, with a little more heat mm. on the heat gun. That doesn't happen, though. All of them hatch and survive. Yeah, yeah. It's not a sous vide poached <laughs> egg situation at all. No. This makes Rauda so happy that he takes Peanut Hamper on a Superman Lois Lane style <laughs> flight. Yeah. And that was really nice. Yeah. And they end up in Rauda's favorite place to hide. And this is a place where he grows comfortable enough to kind of share his personal feelings of inadequacy about being the next village leader and how heavy that potential crown is. And, and Peanut Hamper, for her part, shares her own pain with Rauda mm -hmm. about, you know, the burden of her own expectations there. And they have this thing in common, yeah. these burdens of expectation. Speaking of uh, heavy burdens, he uh, drops trow and uh, something flops out that really gets Peanut Hamper's attention. And uh, there's sort of an elliptical edit and, uh, and it seems that they have gotten down to fucking. This episode was such a hilarious construction to me because of how much time specifically takes place between their confiding in each other 
and the sex happening. Yeah. Because you need that time to do the math in your head that goes like, they're not actually going to do this, right? <laughs> and they even talk about it. Like they don't have parts that correspond. How is this going to work? It's too difficult. And then they do, and then they keep doing it. And it was surprising and hilarious every time. And I feel like this may have been the first orgasm ever depicted in a Star Trek series. Do you think it is? Wow. Because when Rauda blasts and the birds take flight, yeah. that's unmistakably what it is. And I can't remember ever seeing the suggestion of a blast. There's always ever refractory period depicted in Star Trek. It's never during. I think the one other example I can think of is in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock when Savick touches Spock's fingers. Yeah. That is it, isn't it? Then they cut to the train entering the tunnel and the rocket ship taking off and the volcano exploding. That was cool. You're right about that. It has been done before. Would you say that these birds that take flight every time Rauda comes are turtle doves? (laughs) I really would. Yeah. That was sort of what I was thinking, too. Hey, Rauda, where's your girlfriend, man? Yeah. Did did you like formally break things off with her, or is this like a dalliance outside of uh, of a committed relationship? What the fuck? It's pretty hard to ship peanut Rauda. <laughs> Not having an answer to that question, huh? Is Rauda the Adam Levine of <laughs> Ariolus? Peanut Hamper's body is fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> is Rauda going to name his firstborn after Peanut Hamper, even though he's not uh, technically with her? <laughs> so it, in his Routafractory period, he decides that he wants to share an even deeper secret with Peanut yeah. Hamper and reveals a secret waterfall full of warp-capable starships which is a great loophole for Peanut Hamper because it means that the Prime Directive violation was not as bad as she might have previously thought. And this is another moment where they stick it in each other's loopholes. Mm. They fuck again, Ben. Yeah, yeah. The route of Fractory period, a lot shorter than mine. Yeah. We get a passage of time lapse here that finally arrives at the moment that Rauda and Peanut Hamper get married. Which is like a couple seasons later. Like, it doesn't seem like that much time has passed. I, I feel like they may be rushing into this. I'm, I'm a fan of the long engagement. What can I say? When the love is this pure? Come on. I mean, it seems pure, but they barely know each other, as we will come to find out in this episode. Right. Peanut Amber has gone OG Exocomp for this. I, I don't know if this is like the way an Exocomp dresses formally. But Peanut Hamper has stopped being dirty, scuffed up exocomp with some hints at Starfleet uniform under the dirt mm-hmm. and is now the kind of core 10 steel rusted exocomp of the TNG episode that introduced these characters. Right. I mean, she looks great. She looks beautiful. The way you want to look on your wedding day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's her day. <laughs> And uh, wouldn't you know it, but the Drukmani interrupt her day. Uh, it's like Drukmani on your wedding day. It's the scavengers when they're nothing to scavenge. It's interesting, like the existential threat that the Drukmani pose versus the reaction that Peanut Hamper has. 
Like Peanut Hamper is terrified that she is going to get taken by them. Right. And everyone else is concerned that their homeland is going to be destroyed. The reaction that Peanut Hamper has is to send the distress signal that she feared sending all along, which is the distress signal to Starfleet. And wouldn't you know it, it's the Cerritos that picks it up. Uh, Captain, we're receiving a distress call from Peanut Hamper? It looks like she's transmitting from a planet called Areolas. Areol, Areola. Ankylosaur. I thought it was kind of uh, an interesting choice that this episode made that the entire Beta Shift team is on the bridge for this. Including Dr. McLemo, which as soon as I saw him on the bridge, I was thinking, oh, he is going to have some thoughts about the inhabitants of this planet. Right. But we don't get that moment ever. Yeah, I feel like he would love this place. I mean, would his parts fit with maybe Rauda's ex-girlfriend? Damn, yeah. I mean, she's right there and she's super hot. Like, we were talking about how, like, what a smoke show Rauda is, but like his ex-lady friend, damn. Also snackable. Kind of a uh, Mrs. Bugs Bunny. (laughs) Kind of looking yeah, yeah. cartoon, if you ask me. Kind of like original Lola Bunny before they <laughs> ruined her. Hey, nice playing with you. Kind of an original green M&M. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I have strong feelings about this. I'm a grown man. <laughs> I like to sexualize candy. It's what I like. <laughs> I mean... You can't even hug candy anymore, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Woke culture is ruining my desire to fuck inanimate <laughs> objects. <laughs> is Baglimo more of a sky snake kind of guy? Is that the way he swings more? I mean, he's got a lot of options. Yeah, yeah. But it seems like any character on this show could stay home and just use the goat milking device that... <laughs> peanut hamper replicated you know yeah yeah i mean and it's like you you can't even imagine a uh, a society producing enough offspring to maintain its numbers in a context where you can replicate something like that right i know (laughs) the population crashes post goat milking device (laughs) so the lead drukmani to his credit beams down there for a face-to-face with a couple of his wingmen. And he's like, look, we're here to salvage everything that's underneath these trees. You're not using it. You're not going to be mad. Yeah. But it turns out they are. Kaltoris is like, no, like the trees, somehow the trees are like feeding on on the, it's like a cavern full of starships. So it's like a rush song down there. Yeah. Is the Rush song done playing? Can we get back to the episode? (laughs) There's like four minutes of the Rush song. I can't believe we left that in the edit. Jesus. No. We're going to get sued for using the Rush song. The head of the Drukmani is like, okay, well, they're not cooperating. We're just going to take it anyways. And this turns into like a catastrophic salvage operation that is not careful about not destroying the village of the Areolans. Hey, props to the Drukmani for staying with it, though. You know, Mm -hmm. like they they got some resistance. They didn't scram. They stayed in there. Scavenger's going to scavenge. Yeah. And uh, this is bad news. And it seems like, you know, who could come to the rescue? And then it's the Cerritos coming to the rescue. The Cerritos 
comes out of warp and I love the like visual from orbit of the Drukmani scavenger ship way down uh, under the cloud cover. Yeah. Extracting resources from the surface of this planet. And that's kind of happening concurrently with Peanut Hamper making what appears to be a a self-sacrifice. Yeah. <gasps> Peanut Hamper is saving the day? Yeah. <laughs> Here goes everything! I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, Nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Peanut Hamper has hijacked the shuttle from the Drukmani and crashed it into the Drukmani ship and is like scrambling the computer systems on there. What an interesting callback to the Shaxon Rutherford plan from that season one finale, right? Yeah. Directly calls that back. Yeah. And Peanut Hamper appears to save the day. It destroys the Drukmani ship. The explosion up in the sky is devastating to Rauda until we see the Drukmani shuttle coming back out from behind the explosion and it uh, it crashes into one of the like broad decks of the Areolan mm-hmm. village and uh, Peanut Hamper comes out. A true hero, Adam. This episode has like three endings and this is the first. <laughs> yeah. Because there's a there's a moment of triumph when Freeman Shacks and Tendi arrive. And they're like, you know what? Peanut Hamper did such a great job. We're not going to put Peanut Hamper in prison. It's fine. Peanut Hamper's a hero. We're going to write a really creative mission report uh-huh. that kind of peanut butters <laughs> over anything bad that Peanut Hamper ever did. Uh, it seems like Peanut Hamper really learned her lesson. I think we can give you another chance. No penal for Peanut. <laughs> no penal! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not only is Peanut Hamper uh, vindicated, Peanut Hamper also shows an interest in rejoining Starfleet. Like, this is a totally new Peanut Hamper we're getting here. And Rauda's like, you got any room for me on that ship? Because I'd love to go too. And this is when Peanut Hamper starts to drop the mask a little bit. She's like, yeah. oh, no, 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 you don't have to come. And he's like, but uh-huh. I'm. we just got married. Like, we're... You should take your husband with you. We constantly have weird robo-bird sex. (laughs) Route has become used to the goat milking device, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's no going back after that. No. It's like uh, doing it on ecstasy, you know. (laughs) But Freeman is totally against it. She's like, there's only room enough for one bird man on my ship. It's like doing it on ecstasy in one of those massage chairs that also massages your arm. (laughs) You know, like the, <laughs> you know, you yeah. know, that's like a $10,000 massage chair when you can do the arms also. Right, right. There's a chair for your arms inside yeah. the chair. Uh-huh. <laughs> this kind of coincides with a message from Commander Ransom back up on the ship that the Drukmani are not all as dead as they had previously thought. They have beamed themselves onto an Arior, an Ariola ship? Ankylosaur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that ship, very advanced compared to a California-class starship. Crazy weapons on it. Yeah. The, the Cerritos is kind of no match for it. 
Yeah. They start attacking the village and then they start attacking the Cerritos. And it turns out that the Drukmani were in fact summoned by Peanut Hamper. Yeah. He's lying. It came from a prissy little robot, Peanut Butter. <gasps> Peanut Hamper saw those ships in that cave and saw a way off world. The way this is revealed is so deeply shameful though. <laughs> Ransom has the good sense to FaceTime the captain of the Drukmani ship and he's like, what the hell, man? And then they add Freeman into kind of a three-way call. Yeah. But then Freeman's side drops out. So like they have to call her back because you can never connect a third line to a three-way call the first time. Right. It should just work, but it doesn't. And the Drukmani captain explains while everyone is listening that they were responding to this invitation to gather these Arior ships. And they're very confused about why they're not being permitted to do that per the deal. Right. And this exposes Peanut Hamper because they play the audio recording of Peanut Hamper <laughs> soliciting the Drukmani to come out there. So Peanut Hamper, true to form, is an asshole, not a hero. And is so mean to yeah. Rauda, right? Yeah, she's like, I don't want to live on this shitty-ass planet. I was trying to get off this dump so that I could get back out into space where I belong. I'm a robot. And Rauda starts to cry. Rauda's a feeling Birdman. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's okay to cry, Rauda. Peanut! Oh my God, just shut the f*** up, Rauda. Grow a f***ing beak. You know... I started to start to wonder if Peanut Hamper is a bit of a sociopath in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Not really capable of understanding the feelings of others yeah. in a kind of pathological way. Yeah. Kind of making decisions that only benefit themselves. And kind of like... Not involving anyone else in those decisions either. And kind of like making the same mistake over and over again, even though life has kind of constantly provided correctives <laughs> against it. And it's like, can't you learn, Peanut Hamper? No. Wouldn't it be a refresher to learn from these mistakes? I mean, you root for Peanut Hamper to one day eventually get it. Yeah. But instead, uh, you know, for now. You don't take joy in Peanut Hamper's failures because these are failures that have knock-on effects for other people. Yeah. But in this moment, Peanut Hamper doesn't learn. Peanut Hamper classically double middle fingers their way out of the situation <laughs> that they caused. Smell you later. Oh, yeah, and I mean that literally because y'all everywhere. The only rescue from this Ariolan ship for the Cerritos is going to be a bigger, meaner Ariolan ship yeah. that rises from the cave. And uh, this is piloted not by Peanut Hamper, but by Rauda. Rauda is, uh, is here to get Rowenge. What does it mean? Here to get Omerta. And this tiny Ariol ship is no match for the bigger one. Yeah. Yeah. The Drukmani scavengers bested almost immediately. And Peanut Hamper kind of gets kicked out of the tribe. Peanut Hamper no longer welcome on Ariolus. Get out of here! Oh, whatever. I didn't want to stay here anyway. You're like the poor man's Aurelians. Rauda has really, like, completed his ascension into the leader of the village. Yeah. And has made the case through action, really, that, look, like, this technology, this is our birthright. <laughs> <laughs> And he'd be damned if the Drukmani put the greasy hands all over it. <laughs> yeah. It's cool that they got walking to play to play Rauda. Yeah. <laughs> they hid the ships, the only place that they knew where, in their asses. 
the asses of the trees. I hid this uncomfortable hunk of metal up my ass two years. And he's really making the case like, you know, the ancient ones took a step back from being involved in uh, the affairs of the galaxy. But uh, we do not need to live such an orthodox adherence to those beliefs. Mm -hmm. You know, if we want to, we can use our spaceships too. And so like, you know, (laughs) the Starfleets are like, okay, peanut hamper. And peanut hamper starts trying to make a a third distress call, this one to the Borgs. Oh yeah, the Borg would love me. But they keep mushing the little broadcast antenna down into her birdie so that she can't do it. Yeah. And in the final scene, we see what happens to peanut hamper. Yeah. Peanut Hamper is taken by Freeman and the Cerritos back to the Daystrom Institute where Agamus is their neighbor <laughs> in the in the adjoining compartment. You think this is bad? A room full of awesome robots? I love it here. Yeah, it really does seem like um, there's like a, a third installment to this story that's being set up that co-stars Agamus. Yeah. Very fun kind of final button on this episode. But did you like this episode, Adam? Ben, I love this episode. It might be my favorite episode of Lower Decks that I've seen. Whoa. And the reason I'm saying that is because it really leans into and relishes in its weirdness. It is so weird. And at multiple points in the episode, I found myself thinking they're not going to go here. And then they do. And it is such a delight when that happens. And one thing that I figured out after this episode, Ann Kim wrote this episode. Yeah. Single credit. Yeah. Ann Kim, writer of this episode, who also wrote I Excretus, another one of my favorite episodes. Ann Kim is my favorite writer of this show. I've just decided it. Wow. I am now, I'm now on the lookout for Ann Kim episodes. This was so fucking weird and great. I loved it. And like the voice actor who plays Peanut Hamper, Kether Donahue. Like this episode rests on that character's ability to carry it. And the character is so interestingly destructive. <laughs> and her voice work is so believably manipulative at all times. Yeah, totally. Like, how about tossing the keys to this episode to a guest voice actor and just having them carry it? I I thought it was kind of a miracle that way, how perfectly it fit together. And I just loved it. Like Highest possible marks for me for this episode. Huge, huge fan. What about you? Yeah, I felt the same way. I was uh, I was laughing my butt off at this episode, and uh, I you know I couldn't even hear half the dialogue the first time I watched it because my baby was making weird noises, um, and uh, I didn't want to turn the TV up too loud for fear of making him make worse weird noises. We've said this before, Ben. Like the the toughest laugh to get is the at least in my mind, when you're alone watching a thing, if I'm laughing and I'm alone and I'm watching a thing, I think that is really tough. The second toughest is when I'm podcasting with you. Mm-hmm. That's the second toughest laugh that anyone can get. But it's much easier to get a laugh in a, in a crowded room full of people laughing at the same thing. That's why shows use canned laughter. Sure, sure, yeah. And the ability of this episode to get out loud laughs in spite of me being in a room with only one other human who doesn't speak English yet. In spite of you physically needing not to laugh and trying to resist the laugh. (laughs) 
Right. That may be the toughest one of all. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think um it's a great episode. I'm not ready to say it's my favorite episode of all time, but it's a I thought it was great. And um I also yeah, like I agree that Kether Donahue is just such a funny voice performer and it's so great to see them throw the keys of an episode to somebody after them demonstrating their strengths in a previous episode. Like I love bringing a character back. I mean, it kind of reminds me of like Faith Saley coming back for a second episode on Deep Space Nine because she, you know, was so great the first time and getting like an even bigger, weirder thing to do. So yeah, really nice all around. I Excretus was that episode where Boimler repeatedly does the the Borg's holodeck simulation. Like right. that's an example of this show leaning into its own ability to be absurd. That sort of suggests an episode like this being possible. Right. Back then. And I can't imagine now that they're starting to build up a catalog of episodes where they can get that weird, how much weirder things are liable to get. Get as weird as you possibly can, Lower Decks. Yeah. I implore you. Yeah. <laughs> well, Adam, do you want to see if there's anything weird in the Priority One inbox on this episode of Greatest Trek? Well, there usually is. It's true. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is from a weird dad friend of DeSoto. And it is to Ben. Hey, that's me. This is just for you, Ben. Okay. You plug your ears while you read it, okay? Message goes like this. Your baby was born like a week ago, and I'm still chuckling at the dumb colostrum I barely knew him joke you made on Twitter. Congratulations to you and your family. <laughs> I forgot I made that joke. That was one of those, like... Just a stone-cold classic by you, Ben. Yeah, there's definitely a uh, couple of days in there where I was so... My mind was such oatmeal that I was like pulling open Twitter and tweeting stuff. And I'm like, I should not be tweeting right now. I am not, I'm not of sound mind and body. I'm lucky that that's the kind of shit I was tweeting. (laughs) I can't believe how with it you are right now. You're doing great. You're really good at this show. Oh, we're having a great time. I have no excuse for being as bad as I am at this show. You're great. You're great, Adam. Our second Priority One message on today's episode is from Chris in D.C., and it's to Adam and Ben, alphabetically. Oh, I thought this one was just going to be for me. No, it's to me also. I have to share. Yeah, I got both of them this week. You only got one. Cool. Goes like this. First, if the phrase is Friends of DeSoto, shouldn't the initialism be F-O-D instead of F-O-Ds? Just curious. God damn it! Fuck! We've been fucking up the grammar! On social media? A place where you're not allowed to fuck up grammar? You know it's gonna be out there forever. Oh, God! The Library of Congress is gonna have a, <laughs> a grammar mistake that we made because all tweets go on there! Fuck! There are space probes full of our show references hurtling through the galaxy as we speak, and they're all wrong! <laughs> Second, Since Shatner is acting at peak Shatner levels in the movie Airplane 2, colon, the sequel, can you guys review the movie in a rare break in the Trek Industrial Complex broadcast schedule? Oof. Man, Airplane 2 just kind of makes me sad. Oh, really? I I don't think I've seen Airplane 2. I've definitely seen Airplane 1. uh, The first airplane is so great. Yeah. 
Airplane 2 is like the Star Trek 5 of airplane movies. What? Star Trek 5 is great. I know. Do they but- kill God in Airplane 2? Is that why? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there a rocket boot rescue sequence? There is also that. Cool. Yeah. It sounds like a good movie. And not as much nudity as the first. Maybe, uh, I have a pitch for you, Adam. All right. Maybe this is a thing we could do with our buddies over at the Flophouse podcast as a uh, as a listener bonus sometime. That sounds nice. Any excuse to do something with them is good in my mind. And, the, you know, if, if it's a bad movie, who better to review it with than um, Stu, Dan, and Elliot over at the Flophouse? All right. We'll chat them up about it. Look. It's just a, it's a collaboration episode where Adam is just sad the entire time. <laughs> you, you're describing a lot of episodes that we do together. <laughs> you know what? Including this one, because if you've got a priority one message just for Ben mm. and Ben alone. Yeah. And then uh, I guess also for me and Ben. Or you got an idea for a bonus episode or any idea at all. Look, we read P1 messages of all kinds. And you can send yours to us by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. You sure can. We'd really appreciate it. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself and Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin! I did. I'm going to give it to a character who I think is named Doyle, which is one of the many things that I think is funny about this character. Doyle, of course, is the owl man who's fecal matter has been greatly improved by some medical intervention yeah. that peanut hamper brought to bear. And the reason Doyle is by Edward Larkin is that Doyle appears to have a barrel of bird poop <laughs> that it's like wiping off on his shirt. <laughs> that just really made me laugh. That was like a plus funny stuff in this episode. I thought Doyle was a painter or something or some kind of artist. Yeah, there was a different there was a different painter guy, but then there was Doyle. <laughs> Doyle got It's important to distinguish Doyle yeah. as uh, his own thing. Yeah, Doyle's got a barrel of poo. Uh how about you, Adam? Did you <laughs> find yourself in Edward Larkin? You know what? There's no other place to say this. I'm just going to say this here. Mm. Great job by this episode, not going after the low-hanging cloaca joke. Wow. Yeah. Never mentioned. No kidding. Maybe it was looked at when uh, Rauda drops his pants, but maybe that's not what Peanut Hamper's talking about. Maybe there's a, a great big crank down there because all of these birds have lion feet or whatever, like you say. Maybe these are lion penises. Right. I mean, is a crank complicated, though? Yeah. That's the question. I mean, it seems that way, but it's but there is no crank too complicated for an exocomp with a micro-replicator True. on the front, right? That's fair. Ben, my Edward Larkin is going to be Peanut Hamper herself. I just cannot get over the similarities between Peanut Hamper and Edward Larkin. Someone... <laughs> seeing the world in a kind of tunnel vision that, as you say, is totally sociopathic. <laughs> I wonder if at some point we're going to get the vault open at the Daystrom Institute, like the scene in Ghostbusters where they open up the containment unit and all the ghosts fly out. Right, like, right. I wonder if there's going to be that day where some idiot city employee is going to order the Daystrom Institute to release the robots and then all hell is going to break loose. Yeah. The EPA will, for some reason, take great umbrage with the way the Daystrom Institute operates. 
that would be a great big mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Adam, uh, it was big fun reviewing this episode with you. Hey, is there anything uh, going on on social media about, didn't we come up with a name for this segment and then forget what the name was? Damn it. You're right. We did. And now I don't remember. Well, that's just us in a nutshell. I mean, we came up with a name and then took a month off. So, All right, Ben. Twitter handle at Master Kelso. Message goes like this. Now is the time. If you have never listened to Greatest Trek before, there is a new season of Lower Decks that they are going to put their signature stank on. It's a couple of guys with great takes on Star Trek. Join us. Hell yeah. Thank you, at Master Kelso. Master Kelso is talking about this here show. And uh, even though this is episode seven of this third season, it's never too late to get into Greatest Trek <laughs> yeah. and experience the greatness of Lower Decks with us. And if you'd like to hear your social media handle fly out of one of our mouths, tweet or post on Instagram about the show. Tell people why you like it and why they should be listening. And uh, you'll uh, show up in this segment that definitely has a name. <laughs> <laughs> one of the great names. Yeah. We were so creative and smart when we thought of it and then remembered it. <laughs> All right. How is something that enormous made out of latex? That biz. <laughs> Should we throw it to Wendy? I think that's what we got to do at this point, Adam. Yeah, I think we're done. I think we're done. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Coming up on Lower Decks Season 3, it's Episode 8, Crisis Point 2, Paradoxus. Boimler's holodeck movie sequel tries to live up to the original. As you probably know by now, this podcast is audience-supported. So if you are in the position to pitch in, you can do that at MaximumFun.org join. Your membership gets you access to monthly bonus episodes from Ben and Adam, and we really appreciate everyone who supports. Thanks to Adam Ragusia for the show's original music. His podcast and YouTube cooking channel are definitely worth checking out. Just search for Adam Ragusia. Thanks also to Nick Dittmore for the show art and Bill Tilly for managing the social media pages for Uxbridge Shimoda. Make sure you're following at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to tag us in your posts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.